Dispatch Boys. Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. <laughs> Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Zero, zero, and now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired silent witness Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have a great show for you. We have a retired sergeant with the Las Vegas PD that's now a filmmaker with award-winning films. They are absolutely riveting. You will love them. I can't wait to talk to him. But then we go into Cop Talk, where Jason and I will talk about some uh, relevant headlines that have been popping up lately. And then we go to our last segment, which is stupid suspect stories galore, heroic headlines, and, of course, Jason's inspirational clothes. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you're going to be entertained. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Jason, I am so jealous of our next guest. Now, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a, a director, a filmmaker. And how about yourself growing up? I, I always knew that I did not have enough creative talent, but I love to watch a story unfold. I love to watch and a story be told, especially true stories. There's and, nothing like it. And our next guest is a retired cop. So he already has his great career with the Las Vegas Police Department. And now he is a, uh, a filmmaker, not just any filmmaker, but uh, this guy, Jason Harney, is a owner, producer, director, writer, film editor at Lightning Digital Entertainment uh, out of Henderson, Nevada. And he has award-winning films that we're going to talk about that has many of them, which has to do with police work. So without further ado, I want to introduce Jason Harney. So Jason... Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, it's great to be here, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit about your career, if you will, and then let's get right into these films. Uh, tell us about your career. Uh, well, as you know, uh, I retired from uh, Las Vegas Metro Police Department as a uh, sergeant. And, you know, over a two-and-a-half-decade career, you know, handled a lot of the, the standard assignments, worked in patrol, field training officer, uh, I was a TAC officer in our police academy, uh, was the academy sergeant for several years, worked in recruiting, was a robbery detective. So, you know, kind of like a lot of cops do over a long career, you kind of move around and, and get a lot of good experience. And what propelled you to, upon retirement, reinvent yourself in such an incredible way? Was that something that you did a little bit in police work in terms of, you know, public relations and films and so forth? Because, you know, that is part of the uh, – some police departments. 
Sure. Well, you know, a lot of people have uh, interesting paths into the filmmaking world, and it's it's not all, always the traditional way of, of, you know, say, going to film school as an example. You know, uh, Quentin Tarantino famously says that he didn't go to film school. He watched movies. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, kind, that's, that's kind of me. I, I'm just your, kind of your garden variety cinephile and, and have, uh, you know, watched movies since I was a kid. And when I say movies, I mean really a lot of them. I'm just the guy that sees everything that comes out, you know, over my entire life. So you, you, you tend to learn and, and, you know, you, you watch how different directors work and, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, it, it kind of goes from there, you know, as far as reinvention goes, uh, I actually opened up my, uh, production company, lightning digital entertainment back in 2003 and started to take on projects like smaller things like commercials and training videos and recruitment videos and working with smaller clients but the idea was when I retired, I could go into it full time, already armed with the knowledge and the skills necessary to do larger feature length projects that I'm doing now. And some of these films have to do with police work. Uh, the Wounded Blue, for example. Um, tell us about that. Well, you know what, Darren and Jason, that, that's, that's kind of my thing. You know, I, I uh, just like you guys, you, you really see what's put out to the general public in the mainstream by the media by Hollywood when it comes to police work and it's really not the true story most of the time they don't cover the topics that are really important uh, to you know the men and women in blue and that's that's what I want to do I for whatever power I have to be able to make these films uh, I want them to in, in, a, in a sort of way give back to the cops whose stories are not told, you know, in other words, giving a voice to the voiceless is something we talk about with the wounded blue. Um, I just think that a lot of the media networks don't cover the stories about injured and disabled cops uh, and, until, you know, 10 officers had, uh, you know, tragically killed themselves in NYPD. Nobody seemed to care about that before 2019. It's something we've been talking about for years, but, you know, to, to get the kind of coverage that's necessary to truly make a difference is very difficult. So, you know, the type of projects I like to take on are projects that are in some way going to help tell these stories that otherwise would not get told because, I don't know, perhaps they're just not sexy enough for the mainstream or uh, they don't, you know, include blood or guts or, or violence or the kind of things that, you know, a lot of people tend to uh, gravitate to these days. I don't know what it is, but uh, I do know there are stories out there that need to be told, and that's kind of the role I want to play. Hey, Jason, uh, that's outstanding. It really hits home with me because I've always been both humbled and troubled with when I was injured in the line of duty, my story was heavily covered by local news, and it was covered in a beautiful fashion. My family and I, the Phoenix Police Department, we were all treated so well, but there were some catalysts, like you mentioned, you know, sometimes people don't care or it has to happen over and over. The week before my accident, we lost a Phoenix firefighter named Brett Tarver. I was at his funeral two days before my accident. Then I almost die in a fire. Then fast forward, uh, I have another child not long after the accident. I got to carry the Olympic torch. I got, there were a lot of catalysts that kept my story in the news and now it has propelled me to where I have a platform to, to do what I do, be a public speaker, try to make a difference. But you have it completely right. There are stories that need to be told, and I can't thank you enough for doing, 
doing that. And my main point about asking you like this, what you hear now on, on the media or with politicians, it seems like there's a whole lot of boohooing about police officers and all the bad stuff. But then when you turn on the TV or movies, the most popular shows are about law enforcement or rescue 911 or all this stuff. And the contrast almost makes me chuckle. Like the hypocrisy is ridiculous to me. So uh, if, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, you know, it, it is an interesting subject. I think that, you know, it, it, over the years, and, and you go back to uh, the 1990s when Cops, uh, the TV show Cops, became uh, popular, and now it's live PD, and some of the ones that you've talked about, they're even on regular uh, network television. You know, I, I don't really know the, the answer to that. I think that people have this idea as to what a police officer is, what it takes to be one, and who they really are. And that's based mostly on what they see on television or at the movies. But as we know, uh, most of that's not true. And, and I think what, what often what people forget is, is cops are not superheroes. They're not superhuman. Uh, they can't, you know, beat everybody up and, and, and fight the way people think. They don't always shoot straight. They don't always have the best training. And, and uh, above all, they're human. We hire from the human race. Yes. You're going to have some people that just simply, uh, you know, aren't up to it. And, and uh, they're, they're, there's, I don't know, there's not a lot of way around that. But I think that what we can do, what you guys are doing uh, with your uh, radio show and, and the books that Darren is writing and, and the media appearances, and then the films that uh, I've been fortunate to make are, are telling these stories in more of a raw fashion, letting people really understand who are interested, uh, what the truths are uh, behind the men and women that wear our uniform. And, and talk about exciting projects. You have two uh, productions um, that are coming out that are pretty excited. Um, tell me about those. Well, actually, they, they've both been out. Uh, we, we had them uh, released on uh, the, the standard sell-through platforms like iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Microsoft Store. Um, I'll start with The Wounded Blue. Uh, it came out on March 15th. That is a uh, documentary feature. And it covers the six stories of, of uh, six police officers who inspired the creation of Lieutenant Randy Sutton's uh, The Wounded Blue Organization, which is an organization that was created by Randy uh, to help injured and disabled cops um, nationwide. It is a very ambitious organization that uh, has a national peer team that's available 24-7 that has uh, helped and, and counseled uh, over 1,100 officers in the last six months. Um, it has uh, people working uh, towards lobbying at the federal level uh, to change some of the workers' comp laws that are plaguing our injured cops. Uh, causing them to lose up to 75% of their salary and gross income when they get injured and disabled, thus leading them to losing their homes, their cars, and not being able to put food on the table for their children. Um, it's a national tragedy, as Randy says, and it, it's something that is clearly not being addressed because I think these systems throughout our 50 states and all the city, state, and local governments are so fractured and doing things in different ways and are not budgeting for the rainy day when one of their cops is involved in a critical incident, uh, they can't pay for it. And so what ends up happening is if they can't come back to work after a year, say they're not healed up either physically or more commonly mentally, um, they get fired uh, as if they were never there. And, and it really is sad. And that's why we made this film 
to create create that awareness that we believe people don't know. I think that the average person believes that all cops are taken care of when they're injured and disabled, when they're involved in a shooting and they're shot uh, and they're recovering. People think that there's some magical system that is going to take care of them when, in fact, there's not. I think most cops think that. Uh, well, I agree. I think you're right. Uh, and, I and, you're right. And because, again, like with my situation, the city of Phoenix took very good care of me. But took we, me 18 months to get back to work, and there was never a question of getting a paycheck or that I was coming back to work. But I've heard horror stories from other cops across this country about being fired, kicked out of the brotherhood, feeling like they never existed. in the. So I think cops, just like the average person, like Jason mentioned, take it for granted that their department, community, city are going to take care of them, and that's not the case. And there's that never forget uh, tagline that unfortunately our Congress forgot when it came to our 9-11 heroes. And so if they could do that to 9-11 heroes, you know it's happening to smaller departments. So thank you, Jason, for what's putting the, that together. What's the second project, Jason? Uh, the, the second film is called Repeat Offender. Uh, we released that uh, on June 18th. It's also available for rent and purchase on all, all of the, the same stores online. Um, basically, uh, back in 2015, uh, a detective from also from Las Vegas Metro Police, somebody whose career uh, paralleled with mine, just, just like Lieutenant Sutton's did at Metro, uh, same as uh, Brad Nickel. Uh, he was on what's called the repeat offender program rope for short. They track career criminals and he did that job for 15 years. Uh, during that time, right around 2006, he ended up working a case, uh, about a career criminal, uh, named Damon Monroe, who is uh, now known as the most notorious property criminal in Las Vegas history. Um, such a big case that Brad wrote a book about it, a best-selling true crime book in 2015, also called Repeat Offender. So, you know, after after a couple years of the book being out, I approached Brad and said, hey, uh, what would you think about adapting your book into a uh, feature documentary? I think it, it's a great story, and I think it would play really well. And so uh, that's exactly what we did. And uh spent most of 2018 shooting it and, and brought together all of the uh, various people involved, uh, the, the cops, the victims, the prosecutor, uh, and everybody, you know, that kind of was around that. But we kind of tackled the bigger subject of property crimes in general uh, and the impact that people who are victimized by burglars, the psychological impact that it leaves them feeling violated basically when you know somebody breaks into your home or business and you, you discover it and and now you don't want to live there anymore because you know it's just one of those things that that's really tough to uh to do and to get over not to mention and and if i'm sure las vegas is no different than phoenix or anywhere else you know with a overbogged criminal justice system property criminals often are not prosecuted uh or left with a much lesser charge and uh Damon Monroe, uh, when he came on Brad Nichols' radar in 2006, was already a 19-time ex-felon. He's now serving six consecutive life terms in prison and is now a 53-time ex-felon after uh, wow. the various cases that Detective Nichols worked. How many life, so one of life terms? Six? six consecutive life terms. And these are for property crimes? Well... Almost all of them are for property crimes. Uh, the, one of them is for what we were kind of talking about before, and that's the fact that kind of a twist of the case is that while this crook was in jail, he actually plotted to have a uh, Mexican street gang um, kill 
Brad, the detective, the oh. prosecutor, and the judge on the case. Wow. And, and, and so our criminal intelligence unit uh, worked a, a, a parallel case with the property crimes case uh, investigating this. Uh, it dealt with informants, you know, wearing wires inside the jail, a lot of the jail phone calls that were recorded, and he was ultimately convicted for solicitation of murder three counts. So that's in there, wow. too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's in there. <laughs> that sounds like yeah. an incredible film. Yeah, I can't it, wait to know, watch it, it, both it really, of these. It really, came out, it really came out well. Yeah, I mean, we're really pleased with the result. And, and it's, uh, you know, Brad's book is 438 pages. So the task that I had was basically, you know, uh, bringing that down <laughs> to about an, uh, yeah, an, an 80-minute film. But, yeah, we, we filmed about uh, eight different reenactments and uh, have interviews with everybody involved, including the, the uh, detectives from, from the criminal intelligence unit that worked the uh, murder for hire case and uh you know all the courtroom footage so it kind of plays like you know along the lines of, of uh you know like netflix is making a murder or hbo's the jinx it, it, it's it's a you know a true crime thriller and uh a story again not a single bullet was fired not a drop of blood was shed during the case and yet when you really hear the impact that you know this guy had over a long period of time on the victims when they did the search warrant on his home, uh, the estimated recovery in stolen property that day alone was between two and three million dollars. Yeah, this so, was he was prolific. You know, yeah, he was as prolific, I, I believe, as Las Vegas has ever seen in our history. Wow. Now hearing and I the, think that's saying something. You know, hearing this story, and I, I've told Jason this a million times, but every cop out there has a story. If there's some cops listening and they think, hey, I really want to get my story told because it's that type of story. It's riveting. It's the stuff that Hollywood doesn't care about because it doesn't, uh, you know, shed a bad light on, on police. It sets, you know, the positive that we do, the impact that we do, the help that we do. Uh, how do they get a hold of you to talk to you about a production? Well, I, uh, I'm on Twitter at Jason Harney 72 is the Twitter handle, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, also my uh, website is lightningdigitalentertainment.com. Uh, my email's there, and I'm, I'm very accessible and always would love to talk to uh, cops about their stories and, and you know, how, how maybe we can and get them, you know, into some type of a media space, whether it be, you know, a YouTube segment or, or a, uh, a full-length feature film, depending on what it is. But like you said, my, my entire goal is to tell these positive stories to somehow do my part, I guess, in countering all of the negative stories that are told about cops every day that seems to be the, the narrative in this country. I think uh, those of us that have the ability to do so, uh, especially since we were retired and had great careers, you know, I think it's our responsibility to love put it. those positive stories out there because they're there and we know that. Good for you. I love it. Not only do I love this, uh, this is, these films are well-received. You received quite a few accolades. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, we, we have the Wounded Blue. It, it played on the big screen at the Silver State Film Festival uh, at the beginning of September, and uh, the film was awarded the uh, Best Editing for Feature Film. Uh, and, and it's wor uh, won the Award of Merit uh, from the Impact Doc Awards, Bronze Award from the Spotlight Doc Awards, uh, won a Bronze Telly Award, and Repeat Offender basically won all the same awards and was, was put in uh, many of all of the same competitions. So, yeah, both have done really well, but... You know, it, it's really 
it's not the accolades that, that I'm looking for. It, it's just, it's the reaction to the films, you know, I mean, with, with, with Brad's, did we tell the story, not only to do the book justice, but to show what happens when, you know, the hard work of a cop uh, brings a really bad criminal to justice, you know, because with property crimes and the way they're prosecuted, Brad could have just easily, you know, done the minimum, he, you know, the, the original uh, charge when, when the guy was pulled over that kind of started the case would have been dropped down to like an attempt petty larceny and he would have been out of uh, jail that day. Like we know, okay? But that's not what Brad did. He was relentless, dedicated, saw a career criminal that needed to be put behind bars so he would stop terrorizing our community, and he put forth an effort that took years uh, to get it done, and he got it done, you know? And with Lieutenant Sutton, he creates an organization. After he retired uh, in 2010, he had uh, uh, thousands of officers flooding his Facebook regularly, telling him these stories because you know he's a notable law enforcement personnel, personality, known nationwide, like you guys are, and and you know uh, he wanted to do something about it, so he creates this organization. And where do I come in to to make a film about? the stories that inspired that organization. So that's really, it's not the awards. I, I'm looking just for the reaction to say, look, uh, these films will make a difference in, in showing the positive things that cops do every single day, but also show, you know, the true effect that being injured and disabled in the line of duty can have on an officer and their families with the epidemic of PTSD and police suicide that we're dealing with nationwide right now. Jason, that is, uh, Seriously, so outstanding. It's fun to see how our worlds can spin around and we are helping each other. I am definitely going to get in touch with Lieutenant Sutton and get involved with this Wounded Blue thing. That is just um, absolutely amazing. So with the limited time that we have left, I want to do something new and you are going to be the first guest to do this, if you don't mind. I'm going to do a quick lightning round of questions with you, just three that have to do with you and we like you always keep things positive so the first thing that comes to mind if you would give me an answer you okay with that absolutely all right you've watched every film there is your whole life favorite film ever my favorite film is uh james cameron's aliens 1986 favorite thing about vegas uh i love the strip it's it's one of those it's one of those things that uh, a lot of us who live here avoid. But to me, there's a reason why 40 million people come here every year to visit, and that's where it's at, right on Las Vegas Boulevard. A lot uh, of cool things to see and do. I will be in Henderson this weekend with my recently turned 17 year old son in a baseball tournament, and I am definitely going to take him down to the strip. All right, final question: favorite thing about police work? Uh, the camaraderie the people you work with, the relationships that you have. Um, you know, if there's one thing about retirement, you know, sometimes you feel like you've done the job, you've done your service, and it's time to leave it to the younger people. But at the same time, you, you, you do miss going to work every day and being around guys that, you know, you go to war with. Amen. That I, is... Uh, we always talk about we miss we don't miss the circus, but we do miss the that's clowns. That's beautiful. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I will be in your great city this weekend. I promise you I will leave it better than I found it. And I appreciate <laughs> your time very much. That was a great segment, and I can't wait to watch. Uh, love that I learned about you. I will get in touch with Lieutenant Sutton and see if I can be a part of your guys' world. This has been awesome, Jason. Thank you so much. Thanks again for having me, you guys. All right, take care. Take care. And we'll be right back with Cop Talk. 
More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Bad Boys, everybody. Darren, thank you very much for getting Jason on. I'm excited to learn about him. That was a great segment about filmmaking. I hope everybody will uh, go and check out uh, Repeat Offender and Wounded Blue. That uh, Wounded Blue especially, that obviously hits near and dear to my heart. I can't wait to learn more about it. So, as always, you knocked it out of the park with guests and bettering my world. So, Cop Talk this week, uh, Darren and I were discussing what to talk about and... Um, talk about something very sensitive which is sexual assault and i think it's a good thing to talk about all the time because it is such a hideous ongoing part of our lives and our society a lot of us have been through situations we all definitely know somebody i'm sitting four feet away from somebody who has been the victim several times and it's been in the news lately with you know, like Arizona State University has had what, what we talked about six unrelated sexual assaults, some of them pure opportunistic rape, all the way up to the social media date that one side takes a little too far because that's the social media world right now. That's part of the danger. You meet somebody, you agree to, you know, they might be thinking one thing on their end of what the night's going to go like you're thinking on the other end and then it goes to a place that it shouldn't and lives are forever ruined emotionally mentally financially you're talking about people might be you know going to jail for it you talk about the victims being harmed not just physically physical scars and pain heal it's the mental and emotional that the unseen that never does so darren you're an expert on this because you worked in it for a very long time. I know you're very passionate about it. And Robin, again, is very outspoken, incredible in her vulnerability. It's one of my favorite things about the beautiful Rock and Robin. So I'm going to let you guys discuss this very sensitive topic, please. When you talk about ASU, what we've found is that the crimes were stemmed from a meeting on social media. And what Unfortunately, and fortunately, we have this great social media that helps in so many facets of our life. It helps promote our books, helps promote the films that uh, Jason Harney is producing. It does so many good things. Bad people are on social media as well. Sexual predators use social media as a perfect tool to facilitate their crime. If you think about back in the day when we grew up, we were worried about our daughters going to the bar, you know, because it's, it's filled with strangers. And it's dark, dimly lit. 
they, there's a certain amount of anonymity that this individual has when he walks, approaches your, your daughter's table and says, hey, can I buy you a beer? You want to go for a dance? And all suddenly you have an open bottle of, or some type of li- liquor or alcoholic beverage that they can put something in, whether it's a Mickey that just makes you really drunk or whether it's something like Rufinol, which is a, um, you know, Rufies, the, the drug that facilitates a robotic state that allows them to do their crime. Either way, it's insidious, it's methodical, it's calculated, and it's a sexual predator. So now you take that perfect concoction of the dark lit room, strangers, and alcohol, and you add social media to it. So now, unfortunately, our young ladies who are our daughters and, and sisters are going to college, and they go on social media, and they want to meet someone, and they're meeting a stranger. The, the profile you're looking at will change the next day. It's not who they really are. There's a certain amount of anonymity. Now, there's something we can do investigatively. You know, we, we can, you know, trace that trail, if you will, in terms of their social media fingerprint, at least to the originator. But what, it's really a calling cry for you men out there, you fathers, you husbands, you, you wives, you um, mothers to kind of educate your child when they're going to college to let them know bad things do happen. You could be the perfect person and you want to find, you know, that right person in your life. You go to social media and you can meet the most wrong person of your life that will change sadly indelible um, changes in your life. Um, that trespass, that hurt, that pain that I think is a perfect segue for rock and Robin to address. Well, my biggest thing is the first time I was a victim of sexual assault, I was only 16. And the thing they never tell you is don't accept a drink from anybody. Thank you. I was at a Christmas party with some friends at their apartment, and one of their neighbors was there. And what I didn't know at the time was this particular man who gave me this open solo cup of beer um, he was actually a friend of my brother's in high school. Many times they are. And I didn't know this until after the incident happened, but um, I probably took a couple of sips out of it, and I don't remember anything, but I woke up in an apartment tied down to a weight bench, and something stuffed in my mouth, which later came to be women's underwear, not mine, but apparently he had a whole drawer full of underwear. And when I looked off to the corner, I saw the wood leg up against the wall because he actually had a, a prosthetic leg, and he, was, um, he didn't have a leg on the, the one side from the knee below. And I saw that, and I, I was in a daze, and there was this big guy on top of me, and he pushed, you know, he was just doing whatever. And I'm grateful that whatever he put in that drink knocked me out enough to not really see the whole thing and feel the whole thing happening. But when I came to, I pushed him off of me and I don't know how I got out of there, but I grabbed all my clothes and I ran and his mother and grandmother were in the front room of the apartment. And I actually turned to them and said, he just effing raped me. You know, why didn't you guys do anything? And they didn't say nothing. And I stumbled down the stairs, was cut and bleeding from the stairs And I ran out in the parking lot screaming. And I remember my friends grabbing a blanket and putting it around me. And then I don't even know how I got home. And the biggest thing is I tell everybody, do not accept a drink from anyone. If it's from the bartender, yes. And don't ever leave your drink sitting anywhere because you don't know what they're going to do. And for me to have that experience at 16, I mean, that was one of the scariest things I ever had to live through. And 
sadly, many times it is someone that you know. Um, in fact, I will say 95% of child crimes, the offender is someone known to the family. Yes. Yeah. And these are sexual predators that prey upon that vulnerable aspect of 16, prey upon the vulnerable aspect of young college students, you know, experiencing life for really on their own for the first time. And sometimes they make, I hate to use the word bad choices, but not ex- choices with life experiences you wouldn't do. Yeah. You know, reaching out on social media to a stranger thinking you're, it's okay to meet at a private location. Um, these are things that we need to teach our children. We're so programmed, though, from a young age. Well, really from the time you're born, you just want. It's natural and inherent in you to see the good in other people. If somebody offers you a drink. At a Christmas your, party. Your first thought is not going to be, I shouldn't take this because they might sexually assault me. That We are just not programmed like that. So no matter... I, agree, I completely agree with the education. I have a daughter who, thankfully, is made it through college. She's happily married and everything. But I went through those fears, like you talked about, of her going to bars and stuff. But again, we, we're just not as human beings. And how sad you don't want to be that way. I don't want to think the worst in, in a stranger we, that I meet. But, we would like it to be a stranger. In fact, when we were um, coming on an apartment, it was all about um, stranger danger. You know, we'd always teach those sort of things and tell people about the stranger yeah, danger. That's how we grew up. And now we need to tell people it's the behavior. Good touch, bad touch. If someone touches you in a certain way that makes you feel uncomfortable, you need to say something. Because unfortunately, it's from people that the victim trusts. So not only are they being offended physically and emotionally, but that trust, now they have trust issues. And it's such a sad, horrible crime that just keeps repeating itself and there's so many aspects of this right now we're talking about oh God, small aspects a, a, thousands of aspects yeah, it really is this. it really is you know there's a hollywood aspect where people use their power and influence and intimidate uh it happens at the workplace it happens unfortunately with wives where wives are being victimized by their yes. husbands or significant others when i came on a department in 86 you could not arrest a husband for sexually assaulting his wife it was not a crime. It was actually a um, defense. It was a defense in the rape code, except a husband and wife. Really? Uh, absolutely. That's actual stunning. defense in a sexual assault rape code if the offender was a husband. You could not charge Well, I guess that a lot crime. of people always take it for granted that if you are in a deeply committed relationship, you've been a couple for... Many, many years, if you're engaged, if you are married, and then one of them can't say no. One of them, you can't be assaulted. And it's, uh, I think a lot of people still might think that way. And, and it's sad. You know, because a husband, if he comes home after a night of drinking with his friends, and he wants to get lucky, and the wife's like, oh, I'm not in the mood, and he does it anyway. It's a crime. That actually is. It's a crime. Rape. Abs- 100% of rape. But how many people do you think think that way? No. I would it, it, it not would very depend, many. Right. It, it depends on the, on the obviously, the And marriage. you're not going to have a wife run out of the house going, my husband just raped me. You're yeah. not going to hear those words. But we have yeah. seen situations where a sexual predator then brings that home to his wife, where he, they've been married a short time, and he ha- has certain ideas that he wants to do. She's like, never, ever, ever, for example, sodomy or some other aspects, and he forces it. 
that's that's as that's rape. There's it, no getting no, around it. No, I completely agree yeah. with you. It is, and it's a, it's a shame that people don't realize that there is no situation where you ever deserve or are allowed to be sexually assaulted. And this goes for both genders. Absolutely, this, and not you know from somebody in a position of authority, whether it be a Thank cop you. or your boss, to a priest, teacher, teacher and child, priest. Child. There is Jesus thousands <sighs> of ways that sexual assault could be committed and we are lightly touching on something that's so hard to talk about so sensitive and robin when what i was bringing up about the committee relationship you've also been to that correct absolutely and were you one of those people that at the when it occurred did you think hang on a second i know you thought this isn't right i know you thought this hurts me i know you felt the trauma what i'm asking and i appreciate again your Openness and vulnerability is amazing. If our audience was in studio right now, you would understand what we're talking about here. But at the time it happened, were you also taking for granted, well, I'm, I'm in this situation, so I can't. You were a true victim at 16. Yeah. Did you feel like a true victim in your marriage? Yeah, my, Good. first, Good my first marriage, yeah. Because, you know, it comes to a point where I was, I've actually called the police, and this was back Good. in the 80s. But there was nothing they could do. Early 80s. You know, domestic abuse, unless they saw something. Or there was an actual assault. Yeah, or bruises Uh, or anything. You You get to a point when you're in a marriage like that where you just shut down and you just let them do whatever the hell they want because who's going to fight for you? You know, it takes everything in your being to just exist. And I had a baby at that time, I had a young son. So, you know, what was I supposed to do? And he never drew blood until the final day. And that's when I struck back. And then he walked out on me, which I'm grateful. And I don't recommend anybody fighting back because it does make them want to fight you more. But you can get out. And it was really difficult for me because he left me when I was 20. And I was so grateful because I was dumb enough to marry this guy and have children with him. And, you know, just that whole thing every day, he would walk in that door and he would have demands. And if I didn't meet those demands, my child was going to pay the price for that. And looking back and when you look at that cycle of abuse and the, the red flags, what advice would you give to a young girl who's thing bugging married that sees some of these red flags. And you talk about some of the red flags. Is, you know what I'm talking about when I say some of the red flags with these, uh, uh, because it's all about power. It's all yeah. about control. And these sexual predators, there's different types of sexual predators, but the ones that use power and control, which is what you, we're talking about now, you'll see some of these red flags, like the jealousy. Yes. You know, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, when they tell you what you can and can't wear, they tell you who you can hang around with. They distance you from your family and your friends. Um, basically, you're stuck at home. You have no vehicle to drive because he's taken the keys. Um, you're not allowed to make phone calls to people because they're, you know, and, and you can't have events at your home. If you do have events at your home, they're highly monitored by him, the, the presence of him or her, your spouse being there. Um, it's all control. It's, when, that's all predicated on control. Well, here, I'm going to tell you something that is really tough. Um, when I was married to my first husband, My children were actually born on the same day a year apart, but I didn't get a chance to raise my second child because he took that child from me and put her up for adoption because he didn't want girl children. 
Now, the whole time I was pregnant, he said, don't you say anything to anybody, because if you do, I'll kill you. That's the first one. Then it got even worse. It was like, if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill our son and make you watch, then I will kill you. And that's what I lived with for almost 10 months. And then he took the child and just gave her away because he didn't want girl children. And it's, I was 17 when I married him. I was divorced at the age of 20. And I'm grateful that I still had my son because that was the defining factor for me to get my ass in gear and get away from this and do the best I could. This is why people out there who are going through something quietly, secretly, privately, as we all do and will, uh, that's one of the great things about books. And what you and now social media. Well, social media, but Robin has her second book coming out, but you can quietly, privately, and secretly read somebody else's story and learn things that are very helpful. And again, your willingness, your openness, your vulnerability in sharing your story, not just in our short 20-minute segment, but in these books, can really help somebody. So if anybody's out there going through this or knows somebody, please look up Robin Cote's books, and uh, especially the new one, Soul Stirrings, which is... That one's not out yet. But, uh, but, it's coming, though. <laughs> it's, but, when is it going to be out? Um, by the end of the year. Victim No More is the one that I wrote about the domestic abuse. This is going to be... It'll be out quick, so... And what's, uh, what we talked about in the beginning of this segment was all about social media and the harms and evils that can these sexual predators will prey upon. Social media can also be used for good. There are so many um, organizations out there that help people in those situations uh i'm i'm venturing guess that those organizations probably weren't around in the 80s and no. there was no social media no, there was no internet so thank I you and the bad thing when i was raped at 16 when i went home my mom didn't know what to do she didn't really even come for me and my father never even called the police so i was stuck with nowhere to go and no one to talk to so i had to try to deal with those feelings on my own but i can tell anybody out there that's been raped or has been in a domestic abuse situation, even if it's just boyfriend, girlfriend. And this goes both ways, because when I talk about domestic abuse, one in three women and one in five men, yes, this is a man versus woman, you know, woman versus man, people versus people crime, because it happens in same-sex relationships. You've got to tell somebody. And if that person isn't listening, tell somebody else. Do not let this fester in your life because you don't know what's going to happen if it escalates to a certain point. I mean, I almost killed my first husband. I had the poison in the glass to kill him, but he scared the hell out of me coming down the hallway, and I put it in the sink because I I know the difference between right and wrong. I didn't want to go to jail and leave my son without a mom. It was self-defense. In your mind, it was survival. But at 19 years old, to put poison in a glass to try to kill somebody who's threatening your life every single day. I mean, that's not a point where we should be as a human being. And we think about that stat, one in three. Those are the ones reported. I talk about you can't tabulate an unknown. So there's... and, and. those are one of three, and like yourself, sadly, the one in three, that one, multiple times. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a bigger problem than we're very, truly uh, aware of. And very, we, very heavy, heavy subject. Um, and there's help out there. It should always be talked about. And, and I tell everybody, somebody. 
you can reach out to me. I don't mind. And you know? every state, and I know this is going across the, the entire nation, every state, every city, every township has organizations. Go on social media, look up help sexual abuse, sexual assault, and you will find the organization that will help you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you. I know that was a heavy subject. I hope it helped somebody out there. I hope somebody learned a few things or it uh, will provoke you to be proactive instead of reactive and help somebody help yourselves. We will be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for fire fighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. I cannot thank our Rock and Robin enough for sharing as Jason said, beautifully candid, uh, powerful, powerful, just so sad. And sadly, there's very few women in my, my life that uh, doesn't have some kind of story. And that's just tragic. Oh, yeah. And uh, we need to do something as a community. Um, as sad and as powerful, we are now going to go on a much lighter note. We're going to go into a strictly positive note because Jason has a beautiful, heroic headline to share. Do you not, my friend? I do, and I love this story. Uh, it comes from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the headline is a Milwaukee police officer pulled a woman over because her children were not in car seats, which, yes, that is very dangerous. Good for him for recognizing it and we could discuss a lot of reasons that maybe she needed uh, a ticket or go to jail or all this other stuff. However, and you might remember this, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me when I was in the police academy is you learn not everybody needs a ticket, not everybody needs to go to jail. And one of my favorite things about law enforcement is you, in certain situations, you have discretion. So you know what this officer did? I can't wait to hear. He did not write her a ticket. And the very next day, he showed up at her house with two brand new car seats that he purchased himself from Walmart, gave them to her. Her children are safe. She learned a great lesson, not only about safety. She learned a lesson about life. He made her life better. He made himself better. And these are stories you don't hear ever on the news because media wants to say police are monsters and they only highlight the bad stuff. This kind of stuff happens every day, all the time. I'll share another story next week about some officers here in Oro Valley that did an amazing thing. But to see a woman driving her kids around with no car seats and then to purchase those car seats, that officer is an incredible hero and just way to go Milwaukee. 
Love I, it. I love wow. it because giving a ticket, educating people. But if you have a s- individual that it, it's not about education, they understand it's about Sometimes they just, it's, yes, they, they fall don't through the cracks and need resources. They don't have a choice. Good, good for, for that you. author and uh, it represents us all very well. So thank you for that. And now, Darren, I will take off my headset and let you do your stupid suspect stories that uh, always scare me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Jason, I have absolutely a story that will, uh, well, let's just say it will take you to the bowels of humanity. The first one, it's all about themes. I love having themes, so I'm not going to give this theme away until after this first story. The first one is actually in my book was but true and i love this story i respond to a call by myself because it's just a woman throwing mud at cars right i can handle that you know i can handle that so it's a bad area i will say that it's uh lots of uh prostitutes and pimps and drug dealing going on it's a bad area and this woman is throwing mud at cars so i get there and sure enough there she is throwing stuff at cars and screaming and yelling at these cars she's taking Accepts it to these cars. Why? I don't know. It's probably mental health issues. So as I'm walking up to her, I realize that's not poop she's pitching. That is absolutely feces. She is throwing her own feces at these cars. What? Yes. She's a poop pitcher. And she's throwing shit everywhere. And oh I don't want to arrest her. <laughs> so I'm thinking... I can't, you know, I, I have to stop her, but right now there's nobody around. The call came in anonymous, so I'm just kind of waiting, see if I can talk her over to the side, calm her down. And next thing I know, she's now taking her fist, her shit-covered fist, <laughs> and she's pounding the windows, and now I know she's going to break a window, she's going to cut herself, I have to stop her. Now I'm stopping her to protect herself. There are no victims here. There really isn't, other than whoever's car this is that has poop on it. So I have to go now to grab her and of course the fight is on i have she's fighting me she has poop in her hair she has poop everywhere now of course that poop is on me yeah it was gross so at the end of it i'm now covered in her poop and her feces i have her in handcuffs and now that group that i wasn't really worried about the you know drug dealers and the pimps and all that they are now surrounding me they are now surrounding me and i'm able to try to cut, get the stuff out of my eyes. And one thing I didn't talk about, at one point I tried to uh, use my um, mace and my spray, pepper spray, to see if that will help, had no effect. Well, it's having effect on me because I am now cherry-eyed, I can't see. And a little boy out of nowhere comes over and says, can I help you, and turns a water hose on and helps me wash off. Oh, that's cool. So I can see this crowd that's gathering. I could also hear the um, sirens in the background. Somebody called on their phone, because this is before cell phones, went to their house, their apartment, called and said there's an officer being surrounded by a bunch of bad people. And so there's people in the community. So it's almost, if you will, a, uh, um, you know, inspirational, you know. They rescued you. They did. They did. <laughs> but that gives me to the theme that I want to talk about with these two stories. Uh, the first one is a Florida man. Yes, Florida again. A Florida man chases people around Walmart with fresh turd from a toilet. Yes, that's you heard right. Bystanders of a local Walmart in southern Florida. God, what is it with Florida? Said a man raided the bathroom for poop. A lady said that she was in the bathroom when her daughter uh, sees this distraught looking man 
busting into the stall next to them, screaming something that they couldn't understand. Before she knew it, he had a fresh turd in hand and proceeded to wave it around like a wand. The Florida man continued his escapade with his new fresh frown friend, uh, his bathroom buddy, and, uh, and then starts chasing innocent shoppers around with this turd. Uh, a local Walmart shopper, uh, Cody Roland, said, quote, uh, I didn't know what was going on. I was just minding my own business. Then a man with a fresh turd started to chase me. I haven't been that scared in ages. After chasing several individuals, the Walmart, the man uh, started to kiss the turd. You heard me. He started kissing Ugh. the turd. Uh, yeah, and uh, that same uh, individual, uh, Cody, said that he was kissing a turd like it was a Snickers bar. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Uh, the By the way, the poop breath individual was arrested for disturbing the peace. So, um, yeah, there's no inspirational clothes on that one. That's just disgusting. And now the next uh, poop story, because, again, it's a theme. <laughs> And it's another theme, Florida. <laughs> a oh, Florida Lord. man is arrested for launching, oh my gosh, launching diapers from a catapult at moving cars. Uh, and yet the diapers are filled with his own excrement. What? Uh, yeah, the story reads, a Florida man in Dade County was arrested for launching diapers filled with turds and pee at moving cars on, on a highway with a homemade catapult that he built in his garage. Uh, he had launched over 60 filled diapers at pedestrians and cars alike uh one individual i was driving when all of a sudden a diaper exploded over my windshield uh the diaper hit my windshield so hard i almost crashed the car um he went on to say that uh you know, he had to pull over uh this individual spent the last 30 days filling the diapers himself again his own excrement um once he had enough diapers for his plan, he then went out with his homemade catapult to an overpass and began launching diapers. Uh, in total, the man launched 63 diapers at moving cars. He was arrested for endangering the public and assault. Uh, yeah, something seriously could have occurred. So good thing for the police. And again, Florida. Dude, I Florida. am so embarrassed to even admit I was born in Miami, Florida. <laughs> yeah, I know those are pretty shitty stories, but uh, <laughs> we will have now Jason give us an inspirational moment with his incredible closing statements. You know, I just want to share a story that happened to me recently, and I am still so inspired by it. Uh, first of all, I'm inspired about being back. I've missed you guys. I, I've been gone for a couple we weeks. We missed you, my I, I, I love our show. I love Wednesdays. I love being here. And uh, I love what I do for a living. I love traveling and, and my speeches. Um, but I missed you guys. I'm glad to be back. But on one of these trips that I missed you guys at, I was in Orlando and I was doing a speech for a large veterans group that helps veterans get into homes and mortgages and just, it's just a great organization. So I'm in there doing this speech and you will be shocked at how sometimes how small this world can be. And it is incredibly inspirational. When I was a 21-year-old, no name, nothing in the Air Force, I was stationed at Eglin Air Force Base, got deployed to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba for the 1994 Haitian refugee crisis. Again, there's a lot of us. We're all just uh, faces in the same uniform. We're a number. But when you're young, who do you remember the most? probably your strongest leader, probably your highest ranking person. Well, Guantanamo Bay at the time is a pretty tough place to be. And I was there for six months. Didn't, uh, had a three-hour notice when I was going, 
had a one-day notice when we finally found out we were going home. Well, the person Hurry who, up and wait. Hurry the, up and wait. The person who came in and said, you're, you're done and you're leaving tomorrow, was our awesome leader. And he was a captain in the Air Force who graduated from the Citadel. Wow. Never forgot this guy and talked about him many times over the years. Just made a great impression on me as a, he's an imposing figure, probably, I mean, I'm 6'3". He's easily six foot six. And just, you know, he had that, that sharp, crisp look, those two silver bars on his hat. And uh, I just always remembered him. So I do my speech in Orlando. There's 550 people in the audience. Went great. I'm having a good time. Get done. Uh, off the stage, drinking hand. I'm talking to some people. And 25 years since I was in Cuba, guess who walks up to me? That captain. Wow. Captain wow. Chuck Walden walks up. And he's, of course, he doesn't remember me wow. from back then. But he says, I was at Gitmo the same time you were, and I was in charge of the Air Force. And right away, <laughs> the memories came back. I got tears in my eyes, and I'm like, you're, you went to the Citadel, Chuck Walden. And he said, yes, sir. And now we're friends on all the social media accounts. And seeing how small the world is sometimes, I just have, my heart has been full ever since I got back. Love that story. Uh, it, it is incredible. He lives in Atlanta. He's an outstanding he must have been and, touched by the and, fact uh, that you remembered him. Oh, yeah. He made a huge... I was 21, and I was in a scary place with... You know, I didn't have anybody. Scary My family's things. in Arizona. I, I, it was tough, and he was the just one of the... You know how the leaders in the military, you look Absolutely. to those guys, and they, they are leaders and officers Truly for leaders. a reason. There's a reason they got that rank and title. And yeah, I never forgot him. So shout out to Captain Chuck Walden. Thank you for what you did in 1994. And thank you very much what you did for me in 2019. Uh, and thank you to all of our military first responders. Inspired every day. Awesome. God bless everybody. And I will, again, be back next week. I can't wait. Love mm-hmm. you guys. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.